welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church of Fort Smith's weekly sermon podcast. Covenant is a church devoted to theological depth, intimate relationships, joyous worship, relentless evangelism, and sacrificial service. Coming up, a sermon from our series, Ecclesiastes, Life Under the Sun. Here now is our pastor, Dr. John Clayton. All right, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, starting in verse 16. Now, before I read the passage, I want to give this, I don't normally do this, but I want to give you just a little bit of an introduction here. One of the things that you are going to want to pay attention to throughout Ecclesiastes, and especially in difficult parts of it, and this is one of the more difficult passages within this book, you're going to look for a theme of Eden to Eden. Our Bible starts with the Garden of Eden, Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It ends, Revelation 22, with essentially the heavenly Eden. And what you're going to want to pay attention to is that Solomon is going to remind us something that we all know, even without reading the Bible. This ain't Eden. We know that. And he's going to remind us that this is not Eden. But he is also going to remind us that there are remnants of Eden that bring us joy. Now, he, you, some people are confused in Ecclesiastes and, and they're like, well, what, what is this guy? Is he some kind of a hedonist? He keeps talking about food and drink and friends and enjoying work. I mean, who enjoys work? Well, that's how God created it. In the garden, God gave man the mandate to work and keep the garden. That wasn't part of the covenant of works. That was part of the mandate of blessing upon us. Work really is a blessing. But so also the garden fed Adam and Eve. They also had drink. They also had companionship. And all of these things, we see a recurrence of this here. So as I'm reading the passage and as I'm preaching today, I want you to be reminded that we aren't in Eden But there are remnants of Eden that we still enjoy, but ultimately they point us to the future Eden that Christ Jesus is prepared for us and that we will enjoy one day by God's grace through faith in Him. All right, so that's that's the overview that I want you to be thinking of. Now let's look at the text together, starting in verse 16 of of chapter 3. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And at the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. 
So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's go to him in prayer. O Lord our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth and faith and love that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. As we looked at last week in the beginning of this chapter, you have chapter 3 open in front of you. You can look back and reference that first verse. We read, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Solomon says this, and in all of this we understand that all of these seasons, all of these times, all of existence in fact is upheld, directed, disposed, and governed by God's most wise and holy providence. This does not mean that the child of God knows or understands everything. I don't, and I know you don't either. Though God has put, as Solomon puts it, eternity within man's heart, we cannot find out the end from, or rather the beginning to the end. Such is our human limitation. How we see often affects everything in life because oftentimes we lack a providential perspective. Something happens in my life and I react and I get frustrated. Then I go to God's Word. God reminds me, no, you've got to look at life through the lens of my providence. You have to have a providential perspective. And yet, over and over and over again in my life and in yours, we're reminded that the remnants of sin abide in every part of our flesh. That's the way our larger catechism puts it. I'd like to use the word crevice. This is the crevices of my life. Sin just likes to drill down in there and hide sometimes. And, and we see this, for example, and this is the example that, that Solomon is giving us, is the example of injustice in the world and unrighteousness. And sometimes we'll look at the world and we'll go, man, it just seems like unrighteousness is running rampant. It seems as if we are just surrounded with injustice. And, and here's the error, Sometimes, some may think, well then, does this mean that our God is unjust? Does this mean that our God is unrighteous? No, the the psalmist puts it perfectly in Psalm 9. He says, the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established His throne for justice He judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. Theologically speaking, we would say that justice and righteousness are attributes of God. In other words, justice and righteousness are defined by God. We don't get to define those terms. We don't make them up. We might go, well, I think justice is, or I think righteousness is. Well, it's up to every single person, up to their circumstance, how they think about it. Baloney. God defines justice. God defines righteousness. 
They are His attributes and, and this is the important part, they are always administered perfectly by Him. They're always administered perfectly by Him. And we who are made in His image, we share in these attributes. Theologically, we call them communicable attributes. They're attributes that we share with God, and yet imperfectly, tainted by sin. Every human being, think about it, every human being desires justice. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Because I see people that uphold injustice all the time. Yeah, but personally, if something happens to them, they want justice. We all want justice personally. We also know, Scripture tells us that we all know, every human being knows right from wrong. Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2. Every human being knows right from wrong. Now, it doesn't mean that they do right from wrong. It doesn't mean that they agree. It doesn't mean that they admit it, but they do know it. And so, we share these communicable attributes, although they're tainted by our sin nature. We desire justice, but we often pervert it. We know righteousness, but we often deny it. The problem of injustice, the problem of unrighteousness in this life under the sun is not a problem with God. Who's the problem? You people and me. We're the problem, not God. Why? Romans 3.23. I know many of you have it memorized. For all have sinned without exception and fall short of the glory of God. I said this morning in Sunday school, what is the most horrific event in human history? You think about it just for a second. Dun, 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 dun. The most cataclysmic, the most awful, the most horrific event in human history happened in the quiet of Eden. In the quiet of the garden, when our parents fell from the estate wherein they were created. And as a result of that fall, that horrific event, the fall from grace into sin, all mankind, everyone who is descended from Adam by ordinary generation, sinned in Him. And we fell with Him in His first transgression. And as a result... I love the way that our shorter catechism puts it. It led us into an estate of sin and misery. Thanks, Adam. But you wouldn't have done any better. Nor I. But we are all fallen in Him. We need not search for evidence of this, but are constantly reminded. And the reason we are is the term, the universality of sin. The universality of sin. Every human being, everyone who is a son or daughter of Adam is a sinner by nature. Of course, evidenced by thought and word and deed. And yet, simultaneously, as I said about God's attributes, we are made in God's image. Genesis chapter 1. We're all made in the image of God, yet fallen in sin. And so we share God's likeness, and yet we are beings who are sinners. Now, where I'm going with this is I want you to think about the concept of justice. And oftentimes, you'll see, perhaps outside of a court 
or reference to it somewhere, the sculpture or picture or the idea of Lady Justice. You know what I'm talking about? Who's Lady Justice? She's got a, a blindfold on, and in her right hand, she holds two scales, balanced. In her left hand, she holds a two-edged sword, if I remember correctly. Right? That's Lady Justice, the image. Well, what's that an image of? Well, it, the blindfold represents impartiality. The scales represent the balance of justice. And the sword represents the power of the law. The image implies that you and I, for example, in this country, as citizens of this country, as Americans, this image implies that we expect justice and impartiality, fairness, all of which based on the rule of law. And it's a common societal desire. Not just in America, but other civilizations as well. In fact, if you go back and you're a student of Scripture, you know that it's one of the things that Solomon prayed for. At the dedication of the temple, one of his prayer requests was this. He prayed that God would uphold justice in Israel, repaying the guilty with the like kind of evil. And that he would vindicate the righteous, rewarding them with that very same kind of righteousness. It's a, it's a fairness. In other words, Solomon prayed that Israel as a nation would be characterized by justice and righteousness. Because he knew what they were capable of. And we do too. We pray for justice and righteousness, but we also know what we are capable of as sinners. And though the ideal of Lady is an ideal, the Lady Justice is an ideal, we should pray for it, right? In this life, we often see less than justice. We often see evidence of unrighteousness. Solomon saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there would wicked, was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. That is a remarkably sad verse. As Solomon peered into the judicial system of his nation, for whom he prayed, he said... And I saw, and I saw there in the seat of judgment. I saw wickedness in the place where we expect there to be righteous rule of law. There was wickedness. It's a sad verse. But in you and I know the same, don't we? We live not in Eden. We live in a fallen world. Where we expect the opposite. We expect the Edenic. We expect the attributes within our lives. Innately shared. Of justice and righteousness. But so often we see that it is not there. What Solomon saw is wrong. What Solomon saw is troubling. Even disconcerting. But it happens. Isaiah warned Israel of this. And so we hear the same warning. 
Woe to those who acquit the guilty for a bribe and deprive the innocent of his right. Micah lamented in his day that both the prince, that is the leader of the land, and the judge ask for a bribe. This is not to say that we should accept wickedness. doesn't mean that we should roll over and take it. But through the means of God's appointment, we should strive for justice. We should promote and stand for righteousness. In fact, righteous judge, righteous judges are an example of God's favor upon a people. And so we should desire both. So what I'm getting at is Solomon is not advocating that we acquiesce. And he's not accepting wickedness as the new norm. And this is one of the keys to reading and understanding Ecclesiastes. He's observing. He's paying attention and he's telling us what he sees because he knows that we see it too. And this is where Solomon is directing us. Behind the scenes, how do we live in the kind of world where the law presumably protects the righteous, punishes the wicked, and yet wickedness can pervert the course of justice. How do you live in a world like that? And the answer is not if, but when justice will be served. Because make no mistake about it. Solomon says, God, key there, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. No doubt about it, it will happen. And so just because there is injustice and unrighteousness in this world, and just because wickedness perverts right from wrong, does not change the fact of what God sees. It doesn't change the fact, and I know you believe this, but this is a news flash for the world, it doesn't change what God hates. God hates injustice. God hates unrighteousness. He doesn't have a blindfold on. He sees it clearly. And He will judge it. All of it. What we must remember is that He will do it according to His timing, not yours. The right time. Which is remarkably difficult for me. I don't know about you. I really like things done when I want them done. How I want them done, right? And most of the time, when I see wickedness, I would like God to work with a lightning bolt. Except in me. If I am sinning, I don't want the lightning bolt. But I want it for other people, right? The people that make you angry. Lightning, here's a good time, God. This is it. Bring it. (laughs) Not my timing. Not your timing. God's timing and His time. And this is what Solomon is saying here. He says, For there is a time for every matter and for every work. Every matter. There is a time, Solomon says, where you're going to peer into the courtroom and be disgusted. You're going to look into your country and go, Oh, that makes me cringe. But there's also a time where the judge will be seated upon the seat of judgment. Sometimes we see evidence of this in our own lifetime. 
I mean, think about this. When we see, for example, our court's ruling in justice and righteousness, we rejoice, don't we? Even just for, for, for us who love the Lord, even when we see just a glimpse of justice and righteousness in our country, we go, yes! This last week at our uh, General Assembly, the last couple of years, we have been dealing with some difficult issues, especially in areas of human sexuality, things that should never have even had to be addressed within our denomination. In the last three years, we wrestled with it, wrestled with it to the point that some of us just wanted to go, forget it. I'm exhausted. And then this year, I don't know where the quote unquote liberals went. They weren't there. I mean vote after vote after vote after vote. And I was walking around. I'm like, man, I've always been proud to be a Presbyterian. I'm proud to be a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. And then, was it, I think it was, uh, was it Ligon Duncan in his sermon that said that, that he had been in a class where Robert Godfrey had said that if you look at church history, you find that no denomination has stayed true to the faith more than 200 years. And the PCA is 50 years old. We've got 175 years more to beat the trend. I'm not going to be around. I think. Probably not. The point is this, is that sometimes we see it in this life. But, and you knew where I was going, but ultimate judgment, ultimate justice is not today. Ultimate justice will be served on judgment day. Where every single wrong will be righted. And where the righteous one who knows no evil will in fact judge Solomon teaches you and me, direct your hearts there. Because if you're constantly looking to be encouraged by justice and righteousness in this world, you're going to be a really unhappy camper. But if you turn your eyes to know that even in the areas that are confusing to you and frustrating to you, and that you think there's no hope, when you know that there will be justice one day, that's where our focus should be. Moments of injustice or unrighteousness in this life can feel eternal, but they're not. Now, I want you to think with me back to, to Eden. God formed Adam, and He made Adam in this beautiful section. In fact, it's, it's actually the way the translators work it uh, in the Hebrew, they, translating English, they, they uh, note it as poetry. It's a beautiful poem, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26, 27, and it tells us that God made us in His image. And, and it's a beautiful thing. It's telling of, of, of all of us. But then you've got to remember this. What substance did God use to make us who were made in His image? <laughs> That'd be dust, dirt, the earth. We are made from dust. As the pinnacle of creation, that which God said was very good, God has made us, Scripture says in Psalm 85, a little lower than the heavenly beings. 
crowning us with glory, crowning us as human beings with honor. Think about that. God gave us the creation mandate of dominion. God gave us to work and keep the garden. Scripture says that God put all of these things underneath our feet, including all living creatures. Yet, despite such glory, privilege, and vocation, man wanted more. Man wanted to be like God. Being created in His image wasn't enough. And so, as our shorter catechism puts it, our first parents, being left to the freedom of their own will, fell from the estate wherein they were created by sinning against God. He was created with glory, with honor, above all creatures of creation, would now die like the beasts. He who was made from dust would return dust to dust. And in this sense, Solomon says, all go to one place. What's the one place? Dust. We're all headed that way. Doesn't matter how you're buried. Doesn't matter where you're buried. It may be fast. It may be slow. But you're all going to dust. We're all going to the same place. And it's really humbling. We were created in God's image, yet with the same living breath and the imminent death as a donkey. We are quite proud of our prowess, of our dominion, of our accomplishments, even our brains and opposable thumbs. But as the psalmist says soberly, man in his pomp will not remain. He is like the beasts that perish. My grandparents are born, or rather are buried in a cemetery, probably like yours. My beloved Labrador Retriever is buried in my backyard. One is a place of respect and honor, and rightly so. Although I wouldn't mind being buried in my backyard. I think about it and just... But out of honor and respect for our family, they're buried in a cemetery. My dog's buried in the backyard just out of convenience. And yet, and yet, earth to earth, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. I'm going just like my lab. She just went a little before me. And it is this stark reality that reminds us that if you and I, if we look at our life, if we look at our life through the lens of this life under the sun only, if our only perspective in life is just this, the here and now, then we are going to be left with Solomon's favorite word in Ecclesiastes, a life defined by vanity, even futility. If all that we see is the here and now, and they, we think this is all there is, well, it's vanity. Empirically speaking, for example, you and I, we can't even discern whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down to the earth, or vice versa. 
If you say, I want empirical evidence of an eternal life. I'm watching. Let's see. Can't see it, can you? Why? Because it's not observed. It's revealed. That's why we call Scripture the special revelation of God. You cannot empirically observe this, Solomon says. It's revealed by God. And so there is a sense of mystery in this life that only can be understood and seen by God's grace through trust in what God has revealed in His Word. You want to know why we're people of the Word? Because God has revealed Himself in Scripture. And so we go to it. And though God has put eternity in man's heart, we will never understand it all which should humble us, but also at the very same time, it should lead us to better acknowledge and accept this common life we share with others. As one person said, is if anything, Ecclesiastes should just make us better human beings. (laughs) I think that's right. Because there is a commonality to life. There's a commonality of life that we often forget. I mean, I was reminded of this by a brother just last week when I made a derogatory statement about someone just going and blowing and being silly and, just, and I just said it and afterwards I thought, you know what? I just insulted someone made in the image of God. A God who I love. A God who saved a wretch like me. How easy it is to degrade those with whom I disagree. I can behave like a beast. How often we create walls of hostility with others, forgetting that we are all made from dust. And, given enough time, you're all going to be dust. And in this age of divisiveness in which we live, it would be really healthy for us all to remember the common life that God has given us, emphasizing the shared attributes that we have. And for example, consider the gifts of talent and skill. God has given each one of you talents. God has given each one of you skills. I know, I know, some of them are more hidden than others. (laughs) But He's given us all skills and talents, and He's given these to us uniquely. Your enjoyment In service to God. My son can hear music and he can sing harmony with it like that. I hear music and it's beautiful and I can't even find it to sing the harmony. And the same is with you. You can't sing with harmony either. No, that's not what I meant. You have unique gifts. I have unique gifts. And these are gifts for God. And so the question is, is that if God has given them to us and they are to be used, are you enjoying them? Are you putting them to work? As God has gifted you uniquely, there is a personal delight in using your gifts. You may not think I'm very gifted at this, but I promise I get great delight from it. And you get delight from using your gifts as well. But God has given them to us to put them to work for service. Or just to paraphrase Martin Luther. Luther said, in paraphrase, God doesn't need your good works. 
but your neighbor does. And so he's given us these talents, these abilities, these jobs that we have, all of this God has given us to put to work. And the legacy that you leave may neither be monumental nor memorable, but the blessing you give and the enjoyment you gain will be. But, remember how I said from Eden to Eden, in this common life that we share, we must not forget to share what will meet our neighbor's greatest need. Because you may have an unbelievable talent, an unbelievable skill, and you may use it in a profession, in a vocation, in a service in some kind, and it may be a blessing to the world. But those that we bless with our talents and abilities, unless they know the greatest truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the dust is the end. For just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Am I serving the Lord by sharing the gospel with others that they may eagerly wait for Him? Because judgment day awaits us all. No one escapes judgment day the question's not, will it come? The question's not, when will it come? But in whose righteousness will I stand before the judge? Will I stand in my own righteousness or in the righteousness of my mediator? It's true. It's true. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But it's also equally true that we are justified by His grace as His gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. You know I'm reading Romans chapter 3, don't you? But Paul goes on and he says, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He has passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that, we might be, that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's true that we in ourselves have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And yet it is also equally true that God made him who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. We desire justice. We desire righteousness. And we see it perfectly in Jesus Christ the righteous, who lived a perfect, just life who died a sacrificial death, taking upon Himself and satisfying the perfect justice of God. And as we look to Him, and Him alone, we find true, perfect, satisfactory justice. When we look to Him and Him alone, we see there is our righteousness. Though I look in the world and it seems cloudy and dim and I don't see it at all, it's in Jesus Jesus the just. Jesus the righteous. And it is in Him and Him alone that God is satisfied. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, 
let us in this life filled with injustice and unrighteousness let us look to Jesus let me pray oh gracious God in heaven we are sinners from the from conception from the womb we come out sinning we keep sinning And yet you have so graciously provided a Savior. Oh God, you have been so good to us. As we look at this life and we just see, you know, we're, we're just dust. We're headed back to dust. We're no better than the animals. And though we're made in your image, we all will die. And yet, you have promised us eternal life through faith in Jesus. And so our gracious God in heaven, whatever is before us, may we be a people who look to the Lord Jesus Christ and may He be glorified in our lives. May He be glorified in this church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. We hope you have grown in your knowledge of and love for God. Covenant Presbyterian is a PCA church that meets for worship on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Our address is 120 North 9th Street in historic downtown Fortsmouth, Arkansas. For more information about Covenant, visit our website at www.cpcfs.org.